equity is what we do as a labor union. We provide equity um, in the form of our collective bargaining agreements. If you're a black worker working side by side with, with a white worker, because you are in a union, you are making the same money. So our values are equity. But inclusion, inclusion is how you change the DNA of your organization and, and bring folks together under an umbrella to have real true inclusion. And we always say it's a feeling. You know, you feel right away whether or not you're included. That's why we weigh in on the different concerns that our members may have based on their gender, their race, or their ethnicity, because they have to feel like they're included or else the organization loses any sort of lifeblood and any sort of momentum in this day and age. This is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Jimmy Williams Jr., General President of the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, or the IUPAT. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Joanna. I really appreciate the opportunity. Hey, Jimmy, tell us about the IUPAT. Sure. So the IUPAT is a, is a labor union, one of about 12 construction unions in the building and construction trades here in the United States. We are over 135 years old. We were founded on March 15, 1887, wow. and through the years have experienced so much changes and have, have experienced both good times and bad times. But after 135 years, we are still standing and we're strong. We represent workers that come in a variety of different building and construction trades from not just painters, which is in our name, but we also represent glass workers which I myself was a glass worker, drywall finishers, we represent floor coverers, and we represent what we like to call industrial painters, those, those that work on bridges and highways and help like really protect America's infrastructure. So we're, we're a proud, diverse set of trades in the construction industry. Jimmy, you've got all these different crafts kind of under this umbrella. What ties you together so that you're the IUPAT? Yeah, what what uniquely ties us all together is is that we're all construction workers for the most part. We we share a common interest. We bargain together for better wages and better benefits. We have pulled our our resources to where instead of just having one craft that provides a pension or provides training dollars or provides, you know, healthcare, we under one umbrella provide those benefits across multiple trades which is is unique in the in the in the building trades and in the labor movement. 
Jimmy, I had a chance to meet with and work with some of your directors of training, and I had a director of training from Las Vegas. And I said, how do you describe the union to potential you know, members? And he said, I take them up to the roof and I tell them, we make Las Vegas beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's the truth. And we make America beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I've had other directors of training say, you know, we, we put the finishing touch on the buildings and schools and hospitals, you know, that really dot our country. Our members are so proud. And, and I found myself doing the same thing. When we drive around our cities or towns that we live in, we always tell our, our kids, hey, you know, that's that's the job that that dad put the glass in or that's the job that, you know, I painted or or whatever. It's it's a definitely a point of pride. Neat. Jimmy, before we get into the things that you are doing to thrive as an organization, let's talk about your journey. So how do you get to become general president of this large union? Yeah, it's a journey that, quite frankly, I, I got to pinch myself sometimes to say that an organization that I joined back in 1997, that I get the opportunity to lead now, you know, some 30 year, 25 years later, it's an organization that's given me and my family everything. I'm actually a fourth generation member of, of our union. My great grandfather was a glass installer in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, way back in the late 1920s. My grandfather as well, my father, as well as like numerous other family members. And so for me, it was always, how can I get involved in a in an organization that's been so good to generations of, of people that came before me in my own family? And then once starting to work within the trade, and meeting the folks that I worked side by side with, you know, people that I did apprenticeship school with, people that I worked on the job site with, being a part of a network and a family is is so important in our organization. And having multiple opportunities along the way to get involved, get get active, get educated, learn more about what the union does provided so many pathways for me that I just honestly just feel like I'm the luckiest person within our organization. Jimmy, let's unpack this a little bit. So you started out in the field. You say that you were a glass installer or a glazier. Correct. So what is that? What do you do? So a, a glazier can do a, a ton of things. But when you look at like every skyscraper throughout this country, you know, that's installed by by glazers. And, you know, it's it's hard work. It's It's working at heights. It's highly skilled and technical. Same thing with all the way down to like those that put in um, shower doors and mirrors and folks that that put windows in in any building. Same thing with doors and entranceways. I mean, it's a very, um, you know, it's a highly technical and, and highly skilled trade, but it, it really runs the gamut from working on hospitals to working on airports to skyscrapers to schools. Uh, it's 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 just a, it's a great field. So in 2002, you joined the International. So you went from being in the field to being at the International. What kind of transition is that like? It's it's completely different. When, yeah. when you work with your hands and you get to walk away from your work and be able to actually look at it and say, hey, I built that versus now managing people and trying to inspire people and working in a completely different culture it certainly takes a lot of change within yourself. It takes a lot of being open to education. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's a much different set of circumstances than 
being a construction worker. You know, I like currently we manage over four and a half billion dollars in retirement assets for our, for our membership. That is wow. way different than getting a set of blueprints and putting together a window um, on a, on a construction site. Way different set of responsibilities. Correct. So in September 2021, you became general president, and that was at the height of the pandemic. So what's that like to take over an organization when there's so much turmoil, so much uncertainty, and certainly a lot of questions about what's happening? Is construction essential? How do we keep people safe? How do you take over at that time? And what what do you do? Yeah, and, and really the pandemic started... I would say a, a year before that, and right, we right. were as an organization going through the transition from our previous president to to a new team coming in, and so we were trying to deal with transitional issues as well as really what was probably the most uncertain time for construction workers in in my career. I would say the two most impactful moments in the construction industry for workers was the Great Recession in 2008, where literally the economy got shut down overnight and and the pandemic. And it was certainly challenging because not only was there areas of the country where the work was being deemed essential, there were other areas of the country where they said, we don't know, we don't have enough data on whether or not this disease is being transmitted in construction sites. We need to slow this thing down and we need to figure out a better way to protect workers. And as a union, we invest millions of dollars a year in workforce training that it just put us in a very, very precarious situation as far as leadership. And quite frankly, you had to lead with your with your gut and lead with the data to say, hey, we will advocate for our members to work, but they have to work in a safe environment. And we were putting out safety standards and things like that to make sure people were comfortable even going to work. Yeah, because you basically have two potentially conflicting goals to keep people working and keep people safe. And it wasn't clear how to keep people safe. And I guess the guidance was changing all the time. There was no guidance in the beginning. And you know, it was left up to, it was a free-for-all. It was left up to different parts of the industry to decide how they were going to move forward. And I would like to say proudly that the the unionized sector and working closely with our employers and our safety and training arms, we were able to better protect our workforce than the unorganized sector of, of the industry. Well, let's turn to the the union. Let's turn to the international This week is National Apprentice Week. November 13th through the 19th in the U.S. is designated National Apprentice Week. So let's start there. What is a registered apprentice program? Because you all have one. Yeah, registered apprenticeship programs have been around for well over 70 years. And and the big difference between a registered apprenticeship program versus any sort of workforce development or training program that comes out of the government is the set of standards with which that an apprentice gets trained to is approved by the federal government. It's registered with the Department of Labor. And those standards are the guidelines, very similar to how higher education works and and public education works. And we have a set of curriculum. We have a set of standards that we have to adhere to. And all along that pathway for apprentices, if they don't meet the marks, 
you know, they're not allowed to advance forward. And, and it's it's a regulated form of workforce development that has worked for generations of construction workers. And in the construction industry, you know, we do it, we've been doing it. It's a part of our DNA now for, like I said, over 70, 70 some years, and it works. It's a proven track record. So if I'm 25 years old, I've been painting houses and I think, you know what, I think I'd like to do something different. You put me in an apprentice program and what does that look like? How, what do I become? So your, your training begins from day one. You, you join our apprenticeship programs. We place you into employment with our employers that have agreed to, to hire apprentices. And your training goes through either a three or four year period where you receive incremental pay increases as you meet the benchmarks of the training. And it's a time proven process for how to take workers that maybe have minimal experience or some experience and bring them up to speed and up to a level where they, when they're, when they're done, there's a quality assurance that these folks know what they're doing. So I'm getting classroom training as well as on-site training, as well as employment. And a fourth thing, which is hands-on training in the classroom. So it's uh, it's all tied together. There's there's the book knowledge. There's also the hands-on knowledge that we apply in our training centers. There's the on-the-job learning, which is really, really important. But there's employment factored in there where you're earning as you're working. So why are these programs relevant today? They're more relevant today than than ever before because the federal government has put more dollars. This federal government has put more dollars into construction spending in the last two years than any other administration in, in previous administrations. They passed the bipartisan infrastructure law, which is 10 years worth of $1.1 trillion worth of spending on infrastructure. They passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which is going to create enormous amounts of construction opportunities in wind, solar, and other forms of energy production. And then they also passed the Chips and Science Act, which we are already seeing massive projects being built to bring electric batteries here to the United States, other forms of, you know, the chips, you know, production here in the United States to compete with China and compete with the the global markets, all these construction projects are 100% tied to the utilization of registered apprenticeship programs, which means oh, which means our apprenticeship programs need to ramp up to be able to meet the demand of the workforce that's going to be needed here to build these massive massive projects over the next 10 years. Boy, that's really amazing. So they're tying the apprentice programs to these different, you know, bills so that then we have a trained workforce and we have a trained workforce that is skilled and safe. Absolutely. And there's a third piece to that. And and those jobs are high paying because of the work that apprenticeship programs do related to prevailing wage. Whenever the federal government invest money directly in projects, there's something called the prevailing wage laws, the Davis-Bacon Act, where a registered apprentice can earn while they learn and the journey workers that work side by side make the highest wages in the industry. Oh, that's amazing. Well, let's turn to something different. So you do a great deal of advocacy. 
So tell us about the advocacy that you're doing and what are your big issues? Okay, so you just heard the results of great advocacy. Um, we have we have advocated <laughs> for for you know at least my career since I started in 2002 to actually fund the infrastructure work that's needed in this country to bring us up to speed. And that that was some long, hard advocacy work, both on federal, both on Capitol Hill, but then also at the state level. We're, we're constantly advocating for the labor protections that need to be in place when there's massive government spending, because there's one thing to spend. It's another thing to have protections for the workforce. So as a labor union, we're constantly advocating to make sure that labor protections are involved in any sort of government spending. But there's so much more advocacy that goes into our work, you know, advocating for humane immigra- immigration systems. We see the downside of that in, in the underground economy and the construction industry, which could be rampant in the uh. private sector. We advocate for, for pro-worker legislation that gives workers more of a voice at work. Our labor laws in this country have not been changed for the positive since 1937. There's a better way of treating workers in this country, and we are constantly advocating for change in in how we treat workers under the eyes of the law, too. Jimmy, when I visit the website and I read about the advocacy that you're doing, it feels very encompassing. So what are some other issues that you're involved in and care about? As as a labor organization, we represent a very diverse set of members with very, very concerning views on where we're at as a society these days. For instance, we represent an increasing amount of women in, in our trades. And when our women members voice their concerns over what's happening in this country, we feel like it's our duty to lift up and support their causes. You know, we represent a number of African-American workers that during the time when, you know, this country was really being torn apart after George Floyd and the incidents that occurred in 2021, you know, we felt there was a need for us to show that the members of our union that their union has their back. And we do weigh in on issues that affect our members because we we feel like it's our duty to not only represent them in the workplace, but to also represent them outside the workplace. The IEPAT has a, quite a diverse membership, and I think you've been successful at that diversity. Almost every guest I have on this podcast, Jimmy, talks about workforce development and the need for more diverse membership. So tell us about your efforts in this area and what's working. Well, I think, first off, the nature of the construction industry as a whole is becoming more and more diverse in general, whether it's union or or open shop or non-union, the construction industry is a diverse you know industry and it, it makes up people of all, all backgrounds. So within like our organization, we like to say, and this is a phrase I use all the time, that diversity is who we are. We have to embrace that. Equity is what we do as a labor union. We provide equity in the form of our collective bargaining agreements. If you're a black worker working side by side with with a white worker, because you are in a union, you are making the same money. So our values are equity. But inclusion, inclusion is how you change the DNA of your organization and, and bring folks together under an umbrella to have real true inclusion. And we always say it's a feeling. You know, you feel right away whether or not you're included. That's why we weigh in on 
the different concerns that our members may have based on their gender, their race, or their ethnicity, because they have to feel like they're included or else the organization loses any sort of lifeblood and any sort of momentum in this day and age. Are you seeing an increase in the number of women and minority workers in the union? Yeah, we we are going to be within the next year or two, a majority minority organization. We used to be a majority white male organization. You know, probably by next year or the year after, we will not have a 50% white male organization. We are seeing an increasing number of Latino workers joining our ranks. We have set goals to make sure that we increase the number of Black workers that we bring into our union. But where we've seen the biggest and probably quickest increases in our women membership. No kidding. Amazing. We have doubled the, um, every year now for the last couple of years, we have doubled the number of women that we've brought into our ranks. And we're seeing it because of a number of reasons. First off, in the construction industry, you know, we do a lot of what is called the finishing work. Our painters, wall covers, drywall finishers, you know, there's there's a set of skills there that that inherently women gravitate to in the construction industry. But that's not the only reason. In the labor movement and in the union movement, you know, what do unions have that 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 the open shop might not? They have health care. We have wow. retirement planning. We have higher wages and better benefits. And we are an attractive place for women that want to earn a living, raise a family and, and sustain, you know, that family into the future. Hey, I want to take you in a different direction. You talk about the heritage of the union and you talk about how these registered apprentice programs have been around for a while. How are they changing because of technology and what's happening on construction sites? There's got to be a fair amount of tech and even maybe AI coming into all this. So how are you, I guess, evolving to adapt to yeah, that? Yeah, we we have to evolve. And and every year we review our curriculum for whatever else is out there in, in, in the marketplace. Like we are already seeing robotics coming into our industry and we have to embrace that. Anytime you you don't embrace evolution, in an industry, you're going to lose. We are seeing more automated, like things like when a construction site is laid out, it's all done on iPads. It's all done on, you know, equipment that our folks need to learn how to use. And mm. it's an ever evolving industry. I mean, I remember when I started, we didn't even have cell phones on a construction site. We used to, they used to give us a roll of quarters and you had to call the shop if you had any issues. Just the simple sheer pace of technology changes our training programs every year. We're training people on virtual reality equipment, too, so that we don't have to spend a ton of money on on uh, materials and teaching people how to use, whether it be a, a spray machine to, to paint or whether it be a, a virtual welder. It replaces a lot, in it, and we've embraced technology. So what do you say to maybe some members who say, Jimmy, by embracing this technology, you're actually hurting the union because it's maybe removing some of the jobs. Yeah, that argument is is real because it does remove some of the jobs. And when our membership speaks up about that, we can only show them that every industry that has taken a, an approach to push back on technology does not succeed. Um, uh -huh. and, and we have to 
bring our membership into our training program so that they're the ones operating the new equipment, so that they're the ones that have the knowledge to be able to work in the industry as it, it's as it's evolving. And I think that holds true in every single industry, you know, that's out there. I would say on the AI side, that side is a little trickier to replace a worker. That side yeah. can replace somebody who maybe has to put a set of drawings together or put together a bid, which are not typically what our our folks do. They they do the hands-on application. So how's membership? So thankfully, it's it's nice to be able to say our membership's growing. Amazing. Yeah, we're we're having probably our best year that we've had since the Great Recession, which is exciting to to say, you know, we see good days into the future and being able to not and and not to to diminish the the areas where we still have a, a major hurdle and struggle to try to overcome. It is nice to be a part of an organization that is growing now. Um, because more people want to be a part of something that is growing. Jimmy, I want to thank you for being on the show today, and I hope you'll come back and continue to tell the story of the IUPA team. Thank you, Joanna. Thanks for giving us the opportunity to tell our story, too. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye! Bye!